So I try to very hard to work as a translator in between the business and what they're saying and the technical people who just don't speak the same language. And I feel like that's one of the strengths that comes with having a different way of thinking. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Maybe you're the kind of person who can focus intently on detailed analytical work. And maybe you think that makes you a little different from other people. Today's episode features an interview with Angela Andrews, a data scientist who freely admits to being different from most people, being neurodiverse, in fact. Listen to how she has turned that to her advantage and learned a different way of speaking up. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ote, and on this program we have a mix of content and conversations, and today's episode is going to be a conversation that I'm truly looking forward to, because it's a conversation with an exceptional individual named Angela Andrews. Angela, I'm so pleased to have you here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Angela is a, uh, I guess, would it be accurate to say a data scientist? Yep, at, correct. at Johnson & Johnson, and mm-hmm. uh, also has, she would be one of the first to tell you that she has autism, yep. and she is an advocate for people with autism, and we've had a, a preliminary conversation about how that informs her work as a data scientist and her work as a leader in her organization. And so, Angela, I'd like to invite you to just take it from there and, and perhaps start off with a bit of... Um, a bit of backstory, uh, um, maybe maybe even a definition of what we should say autism is for purposes of this discussion. Sure, um, I'll start there because that's the it's kind of important to get out there right away. Um, so autism is um, typically defined as differences in speech, communication, social skills, as well as problems with sensory. So um, how it displays itself in an individual depends on the person. Um, We kind of jokingly say in the autism community, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one person. Um, None of us are at all alike. Um, (laughs) I I myself have, uh, I have five kids, all five are autistic. Um, So I can tell you that there's a huge difference (laughs) between them. And I kind of, as far as the data science track, I actually have always been fascinated by data and puzzles and just, you know, those those kind of things that most kids aren't into. So I knew young that I wanted to do something with data and science and things like that. But when I was growing up, data science wasn't a thing. Computers weren't a thing. Um, (laughs) I did my final paper in high school on a typewriter. So I'm I'm aging myself a little (laughs) bit here. Um, But so I originally went into psychology, um, in part because I've always been fascinated by human behavior, but also because there's a lot of data in psychology. So I focused a lot on research psychology, um, namely in social. So... um, 
you know, watching people, observing people, noting down behaviors, things like that, and running algorithms on them is how I got my my start. Hmm. Um, but after a few years of that, the data science community, I guess you could say, career path exploded. And I went back and got a master's degree because that's always been my love, was playing with the numbers. The people were there but <laughs> the, data. The, people, the people were there to generate the data right <laughs> exactly it was, well and it was actually a little difficult because you know hearing about people who are suffering every day is really difficult um yeah. there's a um i guess you could say a false thinking that autistic people don't have empathy it's that we don't know what to do with it and we tend to have too much of it. So being in that field was actually kind of harmful for me. Oh, was um, it? I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, just, I just couldn't let go of people's problems. So I would start worrying about their problems at home. <laughs> Not the best way to go. Right, um, right. So they were generating the data, but you saw well beyond the data. You saw the people yeah, as well. And I actually tried a few different fields. Um, I got out of therapy because I thought, well, maybe if I'm not working with the same people for months and years, this wouldn't happen because mm -hmm. I wouldn't form a rapport with them. Well, I went, <laughs> I went into a uh, child abuse investigation because that was a smart idea. Oh, <laughs> there's something that you don't take home with you, right? No, not at all. Um, Actually, I went in with the mindset of changing it. Um, I, I wasn't living in, I'm currently in New Jersey. I was living in the Midwest at the time. And first of all, there were way too few investigators. So things just didn't get taken care of mm. because you can only be in one place at a time. Right. And a lot of families, the decision on whether or not to split up a family was personal opinion of the investigator. That always bothered me. I've always been very data driven. I can't buy a car without spreadsheets. Okay. Um, you know, what I mean? like yep. there's there's data involved in everything I do. And I went into it with the thought that I could bring some qualitative and quantitative testing and things like that to bring some actual data into the decisions they did adopt it um unfortunately that job did not end because i wanted to stop working there they found out i was autistic and it was decided i was dangerous with children dangerous with children yes oh my after goodness, several that... years of working in that field that was just because was you it. had a diagnosis they thought yeah. you might be a danger to children that must have hurt yes it did. And make it worse, they told me on my birthday. Oh. So, like, really? <laughs> I waited one day. So, yeah, it was, it was, to say devastating is to put it mildly, because... I'm sure. I was already, I was investigating the master's degree program already for data analytics, but I thought I was going to do it on the way to getting a doctorate and teaching. Because my okay. thought was, I can't do this therapy thing. I can't do the typical psychology stuff. I need a career with it. So the best thing I could do is maybe get into a research university and do a lot of research and data, get my data love taken care of, you know. Yeah. But so that was one of those, um, it looked bad, but it was for the best because okay. it made me focus fully on data science and just as it was blossoming 
Oh. And I really got to get in on the ground floor. And it was it was in my first semester in my master's program that I realized this was what I'd been looking for. You know, I wasn't going to have people scream at me, throw things, bite me. I've been bitten. I was Ooh. bitten at work. <laughs> I've had a pizza mm. thrown at me. So, pizza you know, at you. I, I yes. But I will tell you that those experiences are why I feel like I'm really, I do well in data science. I do well in data analytics and things like that is because the, the, the degree that I had initially was very focused on verbal communication. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was told I was an excellent writer. Like I always loved to write. I love to write nonfiction or fiction, poetry, just constantly writing things um, and making my own little spreadsheet lists on paper before there were computers. I didn't know okay. that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. All right. Um, Indexing your I, writings. Yeah, it was, I could communicate that way, but not verbally very well. I see. Um, I have, I'm very easily distracted. It's part of my autism and I get very socially awkward. So as a child, I would just say the dumbest stuff, just, just to talk, just to have someone, you know, listen to me mm. because I was very badly bullied and badly treated as a child. Oh. So, um, you know, it was kind of as a anxiety desperation response but getting the training I did in psychology helped me with that. It also helped me understand people because I don't read people well. So uh, social so that, psychology that actually a helped characteristic me. Then. But yeah, it's a, it's a very common um, issue that autistic people deal with is that um, it could be that you can't read voice tone. It could be you can't read facial expressions. It could be body language. It could be all of them for me. It's faces. I'm not good. And it, it goes into, I can't remember faces. I remember voices, but I'm okay. almost face blind. Like I have to see you multiple times before I will recognize you in public. Okay. Um, which is really uncomfortable when you're trying to make friends with people and they get offended because you don't recognize don't them. recognize them. Yeah. No matter that, how many times you explain it, problem. people don't. Yeah, it, it causes a lot of social problems. Even now in work, um, people kind of give me, I call it the look. It's that combination of being a little annoyed and disappointed in you that you don't recognize them. Mm. But it unfortunately doesn't matter how many times you tell them. It's like they really don't believe what that's like to not know what someone's face, like not realize you've seen it before. But after a while, I get it. And, you know, that's why I speak so openly about, you know, autism is because I've always taken the the tack that people are going to know I'm different. It's kind of obvious once you get to know me. I'm just upfront about it. So rather than them assuming what's going on in my mind, I just tell them. And it just it makes it so that we're on a more honest, even playing field. And that's something that's a real passion of mine in science and in data science in particular is because there's quite a few autistic people who tend towards the sciences, who tend towards computers and data. But And, is, and why is that, do you think? A lot of, I can speak from at least my experience and from the studying that I had done 
in psychology with autism, it's believed that it's because we have a tendency to notice patterns and like patterns and like consistency and things like that. Right. Um, that's why you'll see a lot of times we'll get into work other people find boring, but we're fascinated by it. Mm, um, okay. Data science is a big one. I actually had the honor of doing, um, doing an article about why I felt my autism made me successful in data science. Um, a big one is, to me, patterns are, everything is pattern. Everything mm -hmm. in life is patterns. When you're talking data science, first of all, I don't get bored easy when I'm working on my data. I can just, I in fact have to put my lunches and my breaks in my calendar because I will work eight, 10 hours without eating or drinking anything. Not good self-care. I'm glad you put that in your calendar. Yeah, it's, a, and it's not, it's not deliberate. It's not because I feel pressure from a deadline. It's that I'm so in it. So absorbed in it. I forget to come out again. Sure. And it's, where it's helpful is things like if I'm looking at something and the pattern is broken, my eyes are immediately going to pick that. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody else may have to go through a whole series of steps to find that my eyes are right on it because wait, that doesn't look right. Mm. I've, I've been doing a lot of my recent work is looking from a user centric design um, theory view of the dashboards and such that we use as well as from an accessibility view and trying to help work with customers to design what they want and when i say customers it's obviously internal most of the medical people we work with don't want me to just design their websites but you know it's um like you know we need dashboards to tell us about our sales and we need dashboards to tell us about you know our products and things like that internally but a lot of times, as data scientists, we build these without a full understanding of what the business really truly needs, because okay. the business doesn't speak our language. Mm. I jokingly call it geek speak. Mm -hmm. That's that's right. what we speak. Yeah. Um, they speak business. They're not supposed to know our language. They didn't go to college for that. Mm -hmm. So I try to very hard to work as a translator in between the business and what they're saying and the technical people who just don't speak the same language to try to give them the best they can have. And I feel like that's one of the strengths that comes with having a different way of thinking. A different way of thinking. Sure. That makes sense. And when you were talking about why um, people who, who may have autism are drawn toward the sciences sometimes mm -hmm. could that also be because they're uh, just dealing with an interface that is so much more predictable and repeatable than a human face absolutely um there's a lot less human interaction for one in general mm -hmm. okay. um although you're on a team a lot of the time even if you're all working on a project together you're really you have your piece and you're at your desk and so um, a great way to look at it is during uh, the beginning of lockdown, Time did a story about how in a lot of the technological businesses, the autistic employees were saving them because lockdown not only wasn't stressing them out, oh, I can't see people, I can't go people, they were thriving. I can personally thriving. speak to okay. that. I was healthier and happier during lockdown than I am now. 
because now I have to deal with things that people don't think of. So the lighting in most office buildings is very painful, not just um, from a visual standpoint, but the noise that it makes. We can hear it Mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very tactile sensitive. So getting dressed in the morning, I, I can lay out an outfit all day long, but it's if it doesn't feel good, if it hurts me, that shirt may have felt great yesterday, but today I can't tolerate it. <laughs> okay. So I can I can appreciate it's all that. those stresses. Yeah. And then driving into work, you know, I'm sure. you know, it's a bit stressful for me because I'm always hyper aware of what everything around me is and everyone around me is doing. Right. So driving is actually, and that's pretty common in autism in general. Um, we unfortunately tend to develop PTSD fairly young. A, a lot of autistic people are not treated properly really? as kids. Okay. Oh, that, that's unfortunate. It, it, yeah. it leads to, I think the, the current estimate is 86% of autistic people have PTSD as well. Just from, I, the, from the mistreatment the or from the stimuli that they can't filter out or don't filter a, out the way other people do? It's a combination. The mistreatment leads to them not being allowed to take care of themselves. It goes back to the self-care comment you made earlier. Okay. For example, if I were to say that something was extremely painful for me sensory-wise... Most people would say, well, it's uncomfortable for everyone. Just get over it. Just suck it it. up and deal with it. When I say something is uncomfortable because of sensory or painful, for example, a noise, to me, a loud metallic noise like someone ringing a bell feels like someone is stabbing knives in my ears. Like Mm. that level of physical Physical trauma. Yeah. And then when someone says it's not a big deal, they're negating your suffering. Yeah, negating. So it makes you feel like you're not important. And a lot of that has kind of combined to, the, to lead to the fact that the current life expectancy for an autistic person is only 52 years, and oh. the leading cause of death is suicide. That's tragic. That's, that's and, indeed tragic. And, and it's a lack of understanding, yeah. um, which leads to a lack of acceptance. And that's why I speak out so strongly on it is because... If you allow someone who's autistic to be their authentic selves, be it at home, in the workplace, but we're talking about with work right now in particular, if they went into data science or they went into science as a scientist, whatever, they've probably had that passion since they were tiny. They've been honing that passion since they were small children and have hyper, it's part, it's actually part of our diagnosis. We've been hyper focusing on our passion mm. since we were little. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're already subject matter experts before we even hit college. <laughs> I imagine so. You know, so it's it's it, it's in the business's best interest to allow that out. Sure. But you don't you don't get to have that without supporting the disabling sides of That's autism right. too. The disabling side. Okay. And yeah. I see it all the time where. People don't want to, you know, yes, you could, you know, have permission to work from home, but how is it going to look to other people? It's you're getting special treatment, Mm, whereas mm -hmm. the argument I make is, would you ever say something like that to someone in a wheelchair? Right. That their ramp is special treatment. Special treatment, sure, yeah. No, of course not, because you wouldn't want to offend them, but because we have an invisible disability, it's okay to offend us. Invisible disability, yeah. 
Let me so. let me just interrupt with a, a couple of thoughts sure. here, if I may. Um, one is let's note for our audience's uh, benefit that um, you were talking about noises, and we're hearing your parakeets <laughs> in the background. Um, d- d- yeah. I think it's delightful that uh, that that is something you find. Um, calming and enjoy having in your environment. And that is part of your environment. And, and we're talking, we're having this conversation in our respective yeah. environments, and that's fine. And um, they were perfectly quiet until we started. So, <laughs> so just, they want to I engage in the conversation as well. <laughs> yes, they're, they're mad that mom moved them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, but another yeah, thing um, I wanted to note, because I, I, I try to be sensitive to language. Sure. I have heard you use the phrase, have autism, and the mm-hmm. phrase to be autistic uh, mm-hmm. pretty much interchangeably. So uh, you don't have a preference between those? I actually do. I'm tr- I'm trying to be, I guess you could say, I'm trying to be cautious for other people. Okay. Um, I very strongly identify as being autistic. Being autistic. I, um, there's, if you say someone has autism, it won't bother me that much if someone says that I have autism. I just kind of like, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. There are certain things, though, that are universally offensive. So if you ever say that someone suffers from autism, there's oh. not an autistic person I know that's going to take that well. Um, oh. Okay. <laughs> um, most autistic people prefer to be called autistic. It's usually the scientific community, the doctors, and the caregivers who prefer person with autism, which is a phrase I don't think I've used. I have autism, but I, I'm not a person with autism. With, I consider yeah. it as integral to who I am, mm-hmm. as my gender, my skin color, my height. You wouldn't say that I'm a person with six feet tall because I am very tall. Um, <laughs> I couldn't tell that. You'd say I'm, I'm a six foot tall person. And that's right. how I see it with the autism as well. I'm an autistic person. Um, but yeah, language language is tricky, um, is. and autism is kind of at a threshold right now where you've got autistic adults finally speaking out instead of just kind of silently hiding away. And part of it is is we we've kind of reached a point where I, I don't I don't want to to die a young age. I don't want my mental health to get that bad. I don't want my children's mental health to be that bad that they're dying young. You know, that's unacceptable. It's not for medical reasons. It's due to lack of acceptance and lack of understanding. It's driving them to this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just want to, and what's ironic is unlike in the general population where women are more likely to attempt, but men are more likely to succeed. succeed right? It's the reverse in autism. Women are eight times more likely to succeed than any group on the planet. I did not know that. That is a tragic And a lot of it has to do with female autistics are harder to to diagnose and harder to see. We we learn very, very young to mask who we are, but Uh, that masking takes a horrible toll on people. I'm sure it does. So they've done studies that show that even as young as three years old, female autistics will mask and and mimic their their playmates in preschool so that it's hard to tell that they're even autistic. But the cost is absolutely horrific for, for doing that. I can imagine. I can imagine that it is. At, at what age do you recall becoming aware of what autism is? 
And I'm not asking you about a diagnosis. I'm just asking about your own awareness. I was aware that there was something very different about me very young. I mean, even preschool, I just knew. I, I, I've always been a people watcher. And I think part of that now looking back with the knowledge I have, part of that was anxiety, not being sure what people were going to do. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to understand and study them. Mm-hmm. The other reason is people are just fascinating to watch. Um, but <laughs> True. I can remember always asking and wanting to know how come the other kids didn't respond well to me or didn't think like I did or didn't want to play like I did or why they wouldn't play with me. Like, And I remember um, it was finally a teacher in third grade who sat me down and said, it's because I think on a higher level than, than they are. They're, they're very surface level. And I, I go very deep into conversations and I go very intellectual on them and they're not there yet. And she was right. She consoled me and said that when you hit adulthood and they hit adulthood, you'll see that start to disappear. And it was a long time. It's been hard to understand when you're in third grade and trying to picture adulthood. (laughs) It it was, but yeah, it just seemed for me, I was just so devastated that it was so long away. Yeah. And then, you know, a blink of an eye, here we are. Um, (laughs) Thank goodness it didn't take as long as I felt it would, but she was absolutely right. Once I hit my late 20s is when there's less of a difference. And recently, and this sounds horrible to say, but in the last 10 years, I finally started to have friends. Oh. And you would think like, wow, that took that long. But I've had attempts at friendship, a lot of them, but they always get frustrated with my autism and they leave. Oh, I really feel like it feel sad. I feel like that was what happened with my my um, I'm I was divorced. So I think that's what happened there, too, is it just it was cute when we were dating. But when he was living with me, it wasn't so cute anymore. It wasn't cute. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's I appreciate it. Yeah, it was at the time painful, but I wouldn't be where I am if I'm one of those people that I look at it and go, okay. That was a horrible time in my life, but I wouldn't be where I am if that hadn't happened. And, you know, I think that's such a a healthy approach to to look backwards and say, I can connect the dots now. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to connect them before, but looking back now at at all that's happened, I can connect the dots. Right. You know, I I grew up with a hearing impairment and often felt somewhat socially isolated because of that, because I would hear... I would mishear something, and so my response would be inappropriate. Oh, uh, yeah. And so I, I pretty much was told to keep my mouth shut, and have fortunately overcome that. <laughs> I <laughs> you talk did now the for a living. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I can understand some of that awkwardness and isolation that you were feeling, uh, mm-hmm. based on my own experience, which was certainly different from yours, but has some some parallels there there's Um, actually a striking parallel in that i was always told to keep my mouth shut too because they were worried what i would say really and i I honestly think it's why they're especially when i'm anxious i over speak and speak very fast because i don't want some 
entity, I guess, from my past to come in and make me stop talking and make me disappear make again. Stop talking. You make you disappear. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Make you disappear again. As we enter the last few minutes of our of our time together, um, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you this: for my audience of scientists, engineers, STEM professionals, anyone, even financial professionals, anyone who gives technical presentations um, and who may share some of your experiences with um, not feeling comfortable speaking up, Mm -hmm. um, what, I often say what tips or advice would you give, but I want to ask it a little bit differently. What hope would you give to someone who feels some of the challenges, perhaps even some of the pains that, that you've experienced as someone with, uh, with your, I'm going to say, your view of the world and of other people? Well, there's definitely hope in the fact that you've already noticed that there's an issue. Um, and when I say issue, the fact that you feel isolated or feel like you can't speak up or like you're too different, things like that. The fact that you recognize it rather than trying to hide it, that's the the hardest step. Once you've taken that step, it gets easier. The next step is to start trying to speak up just little tiny bits. And it could be on something that you're super passionate about. We all have that thing that we can just go on about, that we feel comfortable talking about. We feel like we're in our place Mm. when we're speaking of Mm -hmm. it and a lot of us were in the sciences or in you know computers and technology because that is that safe place for us where we can let our hair down and just be us and honestly if you're in the stem fields and things like that there are so many who feel the same way you do when you first start speaking out people will flood to you so be prepared for that If you honestly say that um, one way to put it is maybe you're not autistic, but you think very differently or you have a learning difference, you're neurodiverse. Neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. Neurodiverse. And that's the fact that now it's becoming a thing that people are fighting for rights and fighting for equality and more importantly, equity. You're not alone. Why is equity more important than equality? Well, equality would be, and I'll use a a mental image for you. So equality would be, we all get to go pick apples from this tree, and we all get a ladder, and the ladder's four feet tall. That's equality. We all got exactly the same thing. We all started exactly the same place. Now, if you are a five foot 10 healthy individual, a four foot ladder, you could easily reach whatever apples you want. What if you have a physical disability? What if you're really short? What if you can't see the apples? Mm. So that one person, that situation works fine, but now you have this huge group of people where it doesn't work so well. So in taking the ladder example, let's say I'm, you know, he's five foot 10, I'm four foot 10. I can't reach any apples. But if you gave me a six foot ladder, now it's equity. We can both reach the same heights. Mm, so it's more about heights. rather than re, rather than level the playing field, which I know we've all heard a million times. Right. Mm. We don't want a level playing field. We want an equitable playing field where equitable. if 
if you're able to be your best self at work because the workplace is set up and designed for you, I can also do the same, you know, in a wheelchair. I can do the same as an autistic person. So equity is making sure that we all have the ability to reach the same heights rather than starting at the same spot. Thank you for that. That very graphic, uh, graphical explanation, very visual, I should say, very visual explanation. I, I really liked that. Um, and I am so pleased for you to hear that you are in an environment now that seems to be providing you with that equity. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's definitely the best one I've ever worked in. And from talking to other people externally, um, there's obviously still work to be done. There will always be work to be done. But the fact that they're trying and they're giving support and they're giving us, you know, ways of working with it, it's, it's head, and, head and shoulders above other places I've been. I'm glad to hear that for you. So, and it's, I would, my hope is to see it not just be at one company though. Yeah. Well, um, and as you give more people the confidence to speak up and advocate for anyone who is uh, neurodiverse, I think we can see the benefits of that. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for being part of this conversation. And I would invite you to uh, say how our audience members may follow up with you if they would like yeah. to continue the conversation. Well, the easiest way would be with my email um, because other methods like LinkedIn, I may forget to check it for months. So, um, so I'll, I'm happy to provide my personal email if you'd like. Okay, sure. And, and what I'll do is I'll put that in the program notes and on the video okay. program, I'll put it on the screen as well. So what would that be? It's Angela dot andrews seven seven at gmail.com angela dot andrews seven seven at gmail.com all yeah. right then and i would encourage anyone who wants to reach out to angela to mention in the subject line something about the podcast social yeah. context a context for that for that reach out angela yeah. thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show today it's my pleasure thank you so much for having me and for anyone who would like to follow up with me, the homepage of this program can be found at storyandscience.com. That's a page on my website. I'm David Ote, and you can find ways to contact me there as well, including buttons that would let you get a, a time on my calendar at your convenience for a conversation about this program or anything you'd like. I always enjoy hearing from my listeners and viewers. Thank you, as always, for being part of the story and science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.